0: Hi, this is Karina Gantas, host of Behind the Pen, and you're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. to see a host of Behind the Pen. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm an award-winning author of 14 books. I'm a YouTuber, a podcaster, I have the radio show Author Assist on the Artist First Radio Network, and I'm also run Author Assist, which helps independent authors with their marketing and promotion. Today, my guest is Elliot Mason, and this isn't the first time that we've, well, it's the first time we've met, but not the first time we've talked to one another. Welcome to the show, Elliot.
1: Thank you, I'm glad to be here, I appreciate it.
0: We first met on my radio show when you did your debut novel, um, and you came on and we talked about that and uh, yeah. we're here to um talk about the first book and to also congratulate you on the second book
1: oh I'm, I appreciate that no I, I it was uh, it was wonderful to talk to you that first time I was excited being a, a brand new author uh, and uh it was ex- exciting to talk to people and get to meet you uh, with you and uh yeah I'm uh, looking forward to uh, chatting all about my first book and, and the new book that's uh, coming out or it actually is out now
0: it's, it's amazing being that debut author to, to finally hold that book in your hand and say i did that that's my baby you know it's took years of research years of, of hard work and editing and finally you have it in your hand and there's i just know there's no feeling like it there really isn't
1: uh, you're absolutely right it's it's almost surreal you you uh because the only time you ever really look at it you know how it is you've got piles of papers and notebooks and scratch outs and notes and then and then you'll put it together on your computer and you'll have like you know a hundred different versions of the book and you're trying to figure out which one goes right and it just seems like a process that will never end it just keeps going and going and finally when you get that hard copy in your hand it's like wow this is it's real now it's not just an idea it's something that is you know, out there in the universe, and it, it really is a very cool
0: feeling. Before I ask you how things have gone from that first book to the second, because a lot of things have happened since then, let me ask you, how did you first start off wanting to be a writer? Was it from your love of reading, or you've always had that story in your head and you needed to get it out? I,
1: I loved reading. Um, I actually loved writing, but I was too... Hmm. I guess, for lack of a better word, chicken to to actually show my writing to anybody else. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, my parents and, the, and my sisters they said, "Oh, you're you're such a good writer. You're such a good writer." And of course, me being the you know you know teenager who thinks he knows everything, I was, well, you know, what do those guys know? They don't know anything about they don't know what a good writer is. They're just saying that to make me feel good. And Later on, I started, to rec- I started to get a little recognition in college, and I really enjoyed it, but again, I was still too scared to put out an idea of a novel, and I started writing for trade magazines and blogs and websites, and it just kind of grew and grew until finally, you know, my parents said to me, you know, we've been bugging you about this for years, you need to actually sit down and write a novel, so it wasn't something that, you know, uh, happened, it took years for me to get to that point where I was confident enough in myself to say, yeah, I can do this. This is something that you know, I have the capability of doing and that it's not just them trying to you know, boost my ego or boost my, my feelings a little bit. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. That's where I, it was just kind of a long love affair with writing, but just never put it out there. Well, no, trade magazines, what I meant by, I, I wrote a lot of stuff for athletic websites and things like that, you know, coaching trade, uh, things of that nature. Um, I did some website blogs where I wrote about, you know, some like political issues and things of that nature, but it was always in short form writing, it wasn't, um, and it was always a directed topic, so people would say to me, oh, we want you to, uh, could you write about such and such a topic, and if I I didn't know about the topic, I'd research it and write about it, so some topics I did have a background in that I already knew that I could do, but that's kind of how it kind of, you know, went along with those early days
0: the first thing you got paid for the first time you could call yourself a published writer what was that
1: that was actually a, uh, a writing for an athletic website and I was writing I was covering uh an article about uh training and I wrote the uh uh an article for it and it came out and I actually got a little paycheck for it you know it's like oh here's your money and I was like wow that that's interesting I never, you know because for years and years I had written tons of stuff and, you know, most of the time it just sat in drawers in my, in my bedroom and I never saw the light of day. So the first time I actually realized, wow, people will actually pay me to do this was kind of a revelation.
0: My first check is still framed. I never cashed it.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, you, 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 I, I wasn't that dramatic in terms of, I wish I could have, but I never really, to me, when I got my first paycheck, it was kind of like, oh, okay, this will, it wasn't. I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was not going to be something that would continue on. But you know, I wish I would have done what you did. I think that's awesome.
0: <laughs> I I worked my butt off for that paycheck, and knowing that something of mine was actually printed and paid for, and that I could call myself a published writer, that then gave me the confidence to write my first novel. Well,
1: that's fantastic. I think that's a great way to done. I I really had wished. Uh, wish that I had done that, uh, but I never, even when I wrote my first article, I never even envisioned that I would write a novel, let alone two, so it was kind of, uh, at that time, the idea of actually doing something like that, you know, just, to me, it was just like, oh, okay, here's a little extra money I can stick it, you know, I can, yeah. I can buy groceries this week, so it's kind of, a, that's kind of how it went.
0: So, let's talk about your first novel, because it is a doozy. Um, where did the idea come from for this
1: well, I was a history major in school, and I had always had a fascination of history, uh, especially that time period, the American Civil War. And um, I, I had you know, learned of this thing called the Dahlgren Affair which, in school, but I really didn't know much about it. And if you flash forward about 20 years, I'm sitting on the couch one day watching the History Channel, and I'm watching this thing about the Dahlgren Affair. And at that same time, my my family had been hounding me to you know you need to write a book but as you know when people a lot of times people do this when they see a person who has writing ability they say oh you ought to write a book and then of course your initial reaction is great about what i mean you know <laughs> <laughs> that's, i mean that's the initial reaction that's fantastic you think i'm capable of but i don't know what to write about but i just kind of sparked an idea in my head i go wow you know i was looking at the dahlgren affair and I was looking at the lost Confederate treasure, uh, treasury, which also happened at the same time. And I, I began to wonder if these two events were connected. And so based on that idea, I started to kind of outline in my head uh, a story of how this, you know, how this could uh, developed and how it could affect us today. My, my whole idea about history is that history has a direct impact of how we think and act today. And uh I, I wanted to apply that, So, and I was a big fan of guys like Dan Brown who do a lot of that with, um, he does stuff with a lot of religious implications, yeah. but my stuff was more historical implications, and uh, that's kind of how the, the idea came about.
0: But being a history scholar uh, and then finally getting that idea, I mean once an idea sticks into your head that's it, it's got to be written down, it won't let go, we know that as authors, did you have to do a lot of research or was, did you know all your dates and all your, the names and stuff already?
1: It was kind of 50-50. I, I knew a lot of stuff already, but there was a lot of research and that needed to be done because, um, I mean, of the major points I knew of, uh, the major historical points of the Civil War I was aware of, However, there was a lot about this particular incident I did not know of. And what I was surprised to find is that as I continued writing the story and I continued doing research, things I thought I knew a lot about, I realized I didn't know as much as I had previously believed. And it was um, kind of a fascinating journey because I I was really able to kind of put myself in the mindset of people who lived at that time and then contrast it because the story takes place in modern day times, contrast it to where we are now. And especially now with all the things going on in, in the United States with, uh, with Confederate monuments and social justice and all the things, a lot of my story kind of touches on those subjects. And it kind of, the timing was kind of right when the book came out and it, wor- it worked uh, very well and it got people to kind of ask questions.
0: Yeah, this is uh, way before the pandemic hit. Um, mm-hmm. Has that affected your writing at all or the um, release of the second book?
1: It did affect my writing from the standpoint that uh, it kind of slowed things down a little bit. Uh, ironically, I don't like to write at home because I, uh, I have a cousin who's also a writer. And uh, he said that writers are always looking for excuse not to write. <laughs> and a lot of times when I was at home, <laughs> you know, we want to do anything but write. When I was at home, I would, I would find things to distract myself with. So I always got out of the house and put myself in a different environment, which kind of stimulated me to write more. And so with the pandemic happening and I couldn't go out like wow. the rest of the world, yeah, it kind of slowed it down. Uh, from the standpoint of the book coming out, the, the latest one, The Legal Killer, um, it, it slowed it down a little bit, but not as much. Uh, what it did slow down was my ability to promote the way I wanted to because I can't Absolutely. do public readings and signings and, and oh, yeah. book fairs and all those things. So that kind of slowed down. I'm hoping now as things are starting to get better and, and um, hopefully we're putting the worst of the pandemic behind us and we can start doing, getting back to our regular lives. I can start doing that.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are, uh book con started up again for ready for the summer. So um, hopefully um, your publicists will be able to book you up a couple of those. But have you noticed that while you've been unable to do your, um, your release outside and do your, um, readings and your sign-ins, that it's opened a new door that you probably didn't even know existed calling virtual marketing and we've always <laughs> been around virtual marketing hats but it's only now that authors are learning about it and taking advantage of it because th- it's open worldwide there is no excuse not to connect to anybody around the world uh,
1: you're you're right and uh I think uh, it's kind of done that not just in the, you know, in the book industry, but in pretty much every industry now is that people are learning that, you know, we have this technology that really allows us to do more than we ever thought possible. So, yeah, it has opened up a tremendous amount of opportunities. I've been uh, doing interviews uh, via Zoom like we are now and doing interviews around, uh, you know, with people all over the country, all over the world. It's a, it's a really cool way to do uh, to talk to people and get to know people. And I'm looking forward to continuing using this as a, a way to kind of enhance what I'm gonna be do- when I go out in public as well.
0: I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, I worry that when authors start going out and doing their face-to-face, because that's mm. where they make most of the sales, that they'll forget about this side of it, but never, because we're always here. It's always open, this door and that it will never close and this door opens up worldwide and there is no excuses um, and nothing stopping anybody from just going on Instagram, doing a live quick video, a reading of your new book, hey I just wanted to read this to you, you know, and doing a quick reading. It doesn't matter if you're scared of the camera. You're not watching anybody. They're watching you. And if they're not watching you, they can watch it later. You're just talking Mm -hmm. in front of your phone like you would be on a call, you know. So these live, small live videos, I don't mean TikTok. I can't see you on TikTok. But Instagram Live are doing these videos now where you can do a live and then put Mm -hmm. it up on what they call their Instagram TV. Right, which is fabulous. Right. And of course, you've got um, StreamYard, which can go from Twitch to Facebook, to YouTube, all at the same time. Um, you don't need to be talking to anybody as an interview. You can just talk about your book, talk about mm-hmm. who you are, talk about the writing aspect. I mean, there's so many new authors that, like you, just can't make that first step. And you could talk to them and tell them that you felt the same way and look what's happened with you now that you finally took that step.
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's been tremendous. And, uh, we've tried to do things like, uh, through my website where we've actually made uh, video book trailers that we put onto Facebook and, uh, there's there so many different ways that you, can, that you can kind of utilize the new electronic media, whether, like you said, Instagram or Facebook or Zoom or whatever you want to do it. There's so many different ways. And I think it is something that should continue and people should really focus on, focus
0: on it.
1: making it an integral part of promoting your work. Yes, it's still important to get out there and meet and greet and shake hands and sign books. And that's, and that's nev- nothing will ever replace that. But this is an awesome way to enhance it and to kind of um, get yourself right. To people the the marketplace
0: is huge. The world is it's a huge right. place. The marketplace yes. is open to you. I want to go back quickly to your first book. There's a question I wanted to ask, and I forgot, and I remembered it now. You put these two um, uh, incidents, the uh, Confederate gold and um, the other one. I can't remember the name now. It's gone. Um Fair? That's it, together to, even though it wasn't um, together, but I I just want to know, while you were doing your research, did anything click and think that this could really actually have happened?
1: Well, that was kind of the impetus of the book because the Dahlgren Affair, for those who don't know what the Dahlgren Affair was, in March of 1864, there was a young Union Colonel by the name of Ulrich Dahlgren, who was killed just outside of the Confederate capital, Richmond, Virginia. And when the Confederates searched his body, they found a set of orders on him. And the order said, you are to kill President Jefferson Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy. You are to kill everybody in the Confederate government, and you are to burn Richmond to the ground. And this was a huge breach of etiquette, because there was kind of an unwritten rule, a gentleman's agreement, really, between the two sides, that the Uh, uh, civilian heads of state would not be targeted. So the South wouldn't target Lincoln and anybody in the Union government. And likewise, the Union wouldn't target anyone in the Confederate government. And uh, there's a lot of people to this day who believe that President Lincoln ordered the hit because a lot of people tend to forget that in March of 1864, Lincoln was up for re-election in a few more months. And a lot of people in the North were getting very tired of the war. This was the first time the war was photographed. So people are seeing pictures of the battlefields with dead bodies and a lot of people in the north were saying look i don't want to send my son off to fight and get killed in a war to free southern slaves if they want to you know keep their slaves let them have them i'm not going to have my son get killed over it and so lincoln was becoming concerned that he was going to lose the war of attrition at the same time the war was not going well for the south and so they were literally developing um i guess ways to get to evacuate the capital if need be and when it was found out that this attempt on Jefferson Davis' life was, happened, uh, the two time periods did coincide with each other within a few months. So I was looking at this, and I, my belief is there was a possibility. It may not have been the only reason, but it certainly could have acted as an, an impetus to accelerate the process. And that's when they decided to move the Confederate gold and silver out uh, to protect it from being confiscated, and it disappeared. So that's kind of how the, those two things came together, is that you have these two instances that you could see how could be related.
0: And you related them in fiction, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And in the second book, tell me what happens with the second book and your characters?
1: Well, in my second book, my second book is, uh, I actually didn't need it to be a sequel, to be honest, either when it first started out. I, I was about a quarter of writing through the book when I realized, you know, this could work as a sequel. Um, basically, the, the second book, the, the subject matter is completely different. It is a, um, it's a uh, kind of a, a real harsh look at, uh, at the United States federal justice system. And in my opinion, the absolute corruptive stated it. Uh, in my opinion, the Department of Justice acts more like the mafia than they do an actual honorable profession. And basically, the, the emphasis of the book is the book starts out with the murder of a U.S. attorney. And my main character... Uh, is uh, living in Georgia, and the FBI knocks on his door, and they start peppering him with these questions about this U- this woman, this U.S. attorney who was murdered in California. And he says, "What does this have to do with me?" And they find they find a note at the crime scene which names him and says that this guy knows the answer, and he's bewildered. That he has no idea. You're doing and a
0: damn the- brown, there, aren't you?
1: Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, kind of, And the killer contacts him and starts giving him these historical riddles to figure out. And if he doesn't get to uh, a certain location at a certain time, another person dies. And while this is going on, he's, uh, he's beginning to learn what the motivation of this killer is. So it, it, it is kind of an expose um, of what looking at our federal justice system through the pursuit of a serial killer.
0: I love that. I love the idea. I love. uh, It's like when I was saying about Dan Brown when they wrote his initials in blood and of course they called him and said well why Why? what do I have to do with it? Well Mm. you were named. Um, So this poor guy's like oh what was I named? What have I done? And then you said the killer starts contacting him and saying if you don't solve these riddles and get to a certain place at a certain point at a certain time someone else is going to die. So he's got all that mm-hmm. on his back. He's got so right. much pressure on him. I mean, how, how does someone be able to think straight, let alone to solve riddles and when you know that a life is at stake?
1: Well, that, that was kind of the idea behind the book. And one of the things about my main character, uh, Des, he, uh, he's, there's nothing extraordinary about him. You know, a lot of times you'll see novels where, you know, the person's a super spy or, <laughs> uh, you know, or an assassin. Or, and even in the case of the Dan Brown books, uh, you know, uh, Robert Langdon, who's the main character of the Dan Brown books, he's a world-famous symbologist. He's a Harvard professor. My yeah. guy's just a regular Joe. He, I mean, he's just kind of... And, that was kind of the idea is how would someone who doesn't possess these superpowers that are so often in other novels how are you going to react to something like this and it becomes um you know how are you going to deal with someone who you think is a lunatic at the same time you begin to understand the reasons and you you don't know you know what the next step is how do you go by are you going to fly by the seat of your pants and most of the time i think when i I think most people who are not I guess those category uh, categorical, uh, super people, you know, the super spine stuff are going to struggle with what their next step would be if they were put into a situation like that
0: without, I mean, I hope it doesn't give a spoiler away. So if you can't answer it, don't answer it, but is there a reason why he was chosen? Do we find there out are, what that reason is in the book?
1: You will find out. Yes. Uh, there is a reason. Uh, and, uh, that you're going to have to read the story to get to that, obviously, because I don't want to spoil it. But, but yes, there are reasons. And uh, yeah, it, it's the, the whole idea was to figure out, um, when I was writing the book, how to connect kind of the two stories, in a sense. But at the same time, I wanted to make this a much more modern day. Uh, it, it has historical aspects, obviously, but it is much more entrenched in modern uh, issues uh, like our justice system here in the United States. So.
0: when you said that it didn't start out as a sequel, but it is, and when I'm thinking back to the first book, and now you've told me the plot for the second book, how do these connect?
1: Well, that's the part of the story. That's part of the uh, little bit of a spoiler, right? So I don't want to give that away. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you're right. I'm just so inquisitive,
0: you know, I need to know these things.
1: (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I got gotcha. you and actually you could read the second book without uh reading the first book and still understand how they connect because it it does recap certain things but I think that uh you know it it does make sense you'll see uh as as the uh per, as you go along in the story uh the whole idea of this story was it's it's much faster paced uh mm-hmm. the, Arlington yeah, the, the Arlington Orders was a build-up yeah the Arlington Orders was a buildup, and it it, it built up through a period of um you know kind of a slower build up this one is kind of you can't catch your breath from the very moment uh the book is shorter it's about um about 100 pages 100 pages shorter the the arlington orders was one hundred twenty two thousand words and this one clocks in right around 83 84 thousand so it is shorter fun. but yeah it's a it's much faster paced than the arlington orders and it's uh i'm, I'm hoping people enjoy it and, and i hope it I always want people when they read my books to feel a little bit uncomfortable with the questions I'm asking them. Uh, I want them to ask some serious questions about what is going on in the United States uh, with the uh, federal justice system.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's going to cause some um, talk in itself uh, with that topic. Of course, you're going to have those uh, foes against and those foes uh, that are with. and. Um, I think you're very brave to tackle a subject like that and it needs to be tackled. But, um, what's next for you, Elliot? I mean, you've just released the book, so I'm assuming you've started on something else.
1: I'm probably like most writers. I always have, you know, a a zillion ideas bouncing through my head. Uh, yeah, I'm working on one actually, and didn't start out this way, but it's become again, real topical about the, um, About the Israeli Palestinian issue and Mm. what's going on, and not just what's going on there, but it's uh, how it's affecting things in the United States. And uh, uh, so I'm I'm working on a a suspense story about that right now.
0: Wow, you really don't take uh, uh, little topics, do you? You really take the main, you really hit hard and, and take a topic that means a lot to you, obviously. But is uh, in the news and relevant to to this day and age.
1: Well, that's what I hope. I mean, I, you know, I one time saw Dan Brown interviewed, and they asked him a very interesting question. The question was, they asked him, "Do you do you write for your audience?" And he said, "Hell no." He says, "I, I write the type of stories I would want to read," and I've kind of followed that that line, you know, where these are issues that interest me, and. Um, the obviously the Palestinian Israeli conflict has been uh, a thing that's been going on for 50 years now. But mm. the um, yeah, I I want to ask people the tough questions. I I want I I want people to feel challenged. I want them to feel uncomfortable. I don't care if they even get angry. Um, but uh, I want them to have some type of reaction emotion to what it is it. I'm yeah. writing.
0: Yeah, that's when you know you've done your job when you get that emotion back from the uh, reader um so where can people find your two books right now and where are you on social media
1: okay they can find um my books or you can go to elliottmasonbooks.com, which is my website uh you you can click the links they're available on amazon barnes and noble target most retailers Uh, They're on retailers. I don't even know how they got them. (laughs) If I even type in Elliot Mason, you know, the legal killer, Elliot Mason, the Arlington Orders, they're, you know, being sold all over the place, uh, (laughs) which I guess is a good thing. Uh, And uh, but they can find me on uh, uh, Facebook, uh, the uh, Elliot Mason books on on Facebook, as well as Instagram and on uh, Twitter as well.
0: Before you go, I just want to tell the people that are watching now to pop over to his website because one of his book trailers I don't know if he's done a new one yet but his first book trailer for his first book is just something that I haven't seen any other authors do so you need to at least go over there and check out the book trailer and of course check out both his books. Thank you Elliot so much for being a guest on Behind the Pen it's been wonderful to having you and chatting with you again.
1: It's been fantastic talking with you and I, I look forward to doing it again hopefully uh... When my next book comes out, we'll we'll be able to talk about that as well. But thank you very much.
0: You're very welcome.